This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. All views and opinions expressed are the views and opinions of the individuals and sponsors presenting them, and not the LTB network. Enjoy the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome to the show. This is episode 11, and we thank you for joining us. I'm Stephanie. And of course, I'm Brian, and it's the hour where everybody likes to party. Yep, that's right. We at least take one hour a week to party, right, Brian? That's the rest right. we are puritanically working hard and not having any fun at all, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, if the word puritanical ever gets used on me, I, I don't know what I do. <laughs> well, speaking of puritanical, there was an interesting story that came across my desk this week. Uh, apparently, the state where we live, New Hampshire, um, is repealing adultery laws. Wait, what? Yeah, there are still laws on the books in a lot of places in the U.S., speaking of puritanical, prudish places. It's just like how in Virginia there's a law against... Uh, yes, there are um, oral <laughs> sex bans in place in several places in the United States. And um, in apparently in a couple of uh, states, you know, it's felonious to have sex with a married person. And, you know, the only time that ever gets trotted out is like during particularly nasty divorces. But this is just yet another example of how the laws don't reflect what public opinion actually says. You know, people always claim, oh, yeah, we live in a democracy. If you if you want to change the system, all you have to do is just contact your legislature and just tell them, you know, we, we want this. The people <laughs> said this. So and then they'll do it. Wrong. That's not true. <laughs> they don't care what you say. And it's obvious because, you know, most people now believe that um, gay people should be able to marry each other and marijuana should not be criminalized, uh, marijuana use or possession or whatever, and that adultery should not be a crime. But yet all those things are criminal in a lot of places in the United States. It's so crazy. I mean, how is adultery? Well, no, I know how adultery is still an idea because honestly, it's defined by religious books. Um, it's not even like an idea in life. They pulled that one straight from the Bible pretty much. I mean, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think so. I mean, and, and you know, people will come out and say, well, yeah, but there's only one person you love and you should only be with them. Yeah, until that person dies and then you're perfectly fine with falling completely in love with somebody else. I mean, <laughs> come on, you know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, some people love to be in monogamous relationships that's and that's fine. what they like and that's yeah, how they feel comfortable right. and that's totally fine. But I'm just saying it shouldn't be a law. Yeah, and and like you can't, it's not everyone <laughs> exactly, and and what like you own that person's genitalia that you can like actually bring down the hammer of the law, you know, you can bring down the gun, <laughs> yeah, on that's somebody the and lock them up, sort of form of oh, like no, control no. freakery, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, there's a bunch of these, like uh, what, what in Alaska, there's that law um, in Fair or is it Fairbanks? I don't know what you're talking about. In Alaska, there's a law that that moose can't have sex. In 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 the city. Oh yeah. I, I mean, right. who, who do these people think they are? I'm sure those meese will get right on, like reading the law books and making sure that they don't <laughs> in the town square. <laughs> <laughs> or what, what's the one in Michigan? This one's one of my favorites. Uh, the one in Michigan is that if you oh, is this corrupting and uh, yeah, if yeah. you corrupt a young woman, yeah. or a woman, and and they're saying woman, not girl. You know, so I mean, whatever that definition of age, I guess, would be 18 by the law, by the other laws in Michigan. Uh, if you corrupt a woman, you know, in Michigan, uh, you can serve some crazy amount of time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's just but, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, but, and the, I mean, most of these things are only in for because like they know, you know, the cops know and the politicians know that, you know, people don't agree with these laws and that they break them all the time and oh, that yeah. they're a total joke. The only time that they get enforced and pulled out is when somebody is being targeted. 
basically. Yeah, this is pretty common. I mean, like there's... the sodomy laws got, you know, it, in Texas, there was this big Supreme Court case years ago where, you know, basically there were two guys and they're in a relationship and their neighbor didn't like them queers. And so he <laughs> called the cops on them when he heard him having sex and they, they got prosecuted for it. And I yeah. think the law actually got struck down because of that, because it wasn't, you know, it was clearly like blatantly unfair. But... Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and a lot of these laws, too, certainly not the ones in New England, because or in New Hampshire, the one we're talking about. But mm-hmm. in New England, there's definitely this puritanical attitude, which oh, fortunately yeah. uh, we've done a lot in uh, in 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 uh, abating and in, in, in pushing back against. Who's I guess we? You, you and me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> we are activists against social conservatism. The year I moved, two years later, I saw the statistics. Okay, New Hampshire, there was like this uh, most, um, what, what was what was the, it was something like the most, uh, it was by a Christian website, mm-hmm. and essentially the, the most debased state. <laughs> In 2010, okay, oh, yellow, or, or like white and yellow were, were like, oh, yeah, they're, they're pretty puritanical. And then red was like, you know, they, they must be the spawn of Satan Bright there. red. And I'm telling you, in 2000, I moved to New Hampshire in 2011. In 2010, New Hampshire was yellow. 2013, that state's as red as as a commie. (laughs) (laughs) It it is red. Mission accomplished, Brian. Hey, I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a great point about um, social conservatism because, well, one point first before that about the laws, like there are laws on the books against playing cards, against dancing, against all kinds of just ridiculous things that people break all the time. Not to mention, okay, Tell me the cop who arrests you has never taken a sip of alcohol before his 21st birthday. Give me a break. Oh, come on. Tell, yeah. you know, tell me that the cop who arrests you for who pulls you over for speeding has not sped himself that day or herself. I well, mean, it's yeah, but they, they're above the law. They, they Right. They're doing it to yeah, protect you for yeah. your own good, right? for your safety. <laughs> it's all, always your safety. Is Laws are meaningless concern. if they don't apply to everybody. That's Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's that. that's what we have is just, you know, laws apply to some people. There's one set of rules for them and then there's one set of rules for us. But it's like these laws, you know, keeping them on the books really serves no purpose except just that people are in a constant state of violation of some law or another. So yeah, like they can always a day, right? get you for something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you know, actually the, just real quick, the point I was going to bring up earlier was that some of these laws were specifically like, like targeted towards, even though they don't say it in the law, they were specifically targeted towards black people. Yeah. Um, you know, well, marriage licenses, the whole history of that. Was, yeah. The so entire history of marriage. The would, only reason you have to get a license is so somebody can say no. Right. And, and they were originally meant to prevent interracial marriages. Yeah, absolutely. And and all these things are still on the books, even when I think, I hope most people, maybe they don't, you know, uh, would agree, you know, that we're, we're all human and all equal. Mm. But, you know, fi- maybe there's a glimmer of hope or a silver lining. You know, maybe New Hampshire is finally just starting to turn this tide against social conservatism. Uh, I-, I don't really have any faith at all in the political process. Um, but, you know, maybe on a cultural front, people are starting to kind of make that connection that, hey, you know, why is it illegal to have sex with a married person again? Right. You know, so that turned into kind of a rant, but (laughs) I just wanted to quickly mention that because I thought it was kind of cool. And uh, (laughs) now we're going to a story that's not so cool. Um, Condoleezza Rice has been appointed to the board of uh, Dropbox, Uh. the, the water board. Oh, no, excuse me, the executive board. Oh, the executive board. Uh, Or the advisory board. But, of course, there's a lot of waterboarding jokes, you know. What can you do except joke about a tragedy like that? Um, They've appointed, you know, they've appointed her as a a name, I suppose. I mean, I don't really know what she adds to Dropbox. The statement from Dropbox's CEO said something like, we sought out a leader who could help us expand our global footprint. Oh, she's expanding things all over the globe, that's for sure. <laughs> um, Dr. Rice has had an illustrious career as a provost of Stanford, board member of companies like Hewlett Packard and Charles Schwab, and former United States Secretary of State. We're honored to be adding someone as brilliant and accomplished as her to our team. I was going to say that, that. I mean, that's all ridiculous, but I was going to say that she is an intelligent woman. Uh, you know, I mean, some people use their intelligence for good and some people use it for 
utter abject evil. Yeah, sure. I mean, this is, you know, when, when the Snowden revelations came out, some of the slides from the NSA uh, clearly stated that Dropbox was a target. Yeah. And it's like, well, that was their coming soon list. That yeah, they were that was the coming soon. soon. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, this is pretty clearly, uh, you know, they got they're they're it's they, now. It's so, soon as now. So for uh, people who are maybe like international, they've probably heard of her. But this is basically a politician who was involved in starting the Iraq war. She, and in starting prism. She was aware of, you know, of prism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, she's secretary of state. She's she's a, a direct link to the NSA. Yeah. She actually authorized a bunch of warrantless wiretapping sure. stuff. She defended the torture policy at Guantanamo Bay. That's why we talked about war- waterboarding, which is a form of torture where somebody's made to feel like they're drowning. Um, and I mean, really, like it would not be an outlandish statement, and many have made it, to call her a war criminal. Yeah. And she's on the board of Dropbox, which is a company that has very sensitive data from a lot of people. Oh, right? absolutely. So obviously this is quite a concern. Yeah, I mean, and, and a lot of people will say it's like, well, that's why they got her in is because she can help them thwart uh, Prism. Well, no, then she should have, she should, her rhetoric right now should be that the NSA overreached. That's not her rhetoric. Yeah. In fact, she'd be a complete hypocrite in the first place. Not to say people can't change their mind. She could, but she's done nothing no. to, to show that, that she's changed her mind. Yeah. And I mean, like stuff. you you could say, well, she's not in political office anymore. But I mean, most of these politicians who start these programs, they wholeheartedly believe that this is the right thing, that like mass surveillance is absolutely required to protect national security and crap like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think any company, uh, especially, you know, storage companies like Dropbox, to hire anyone that's a, that's a previous politician, especially somebody so closely tied mm. uh, to a lot of the lot of the Snowden revelations that have ruined consumer confidence with these things, is just one of the dumbest moves you can make. I, I dare say it's almost dumber than the move Mozilla made uh, when they, they, well, they just got rid of their CEO because yeah. of societal pressure. Yeah, because he made some anti-gay statements, right? Well, yeah, and he funded uh, Proposition 8. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, some political ploy to, like, stop gay marriage or right. something. Yeah, and so I hope, you know, there's the hashtag going around, Drop Dropbox. Yeah, there's a website, drop-dropbox.com, which yeah. details um, alternatives to Dropbox and why you could make the choice as a conscious consumer not to use it. What do you think, Brian, as a tech guy, you know, how do you protect, how do you keep your data maybe encrypted in cloud storage or do you just not use cloud storage? What do you do? I I think, I mean, I I use Google Drive only because I have like a free account with it. (laughs) Do you use Boxcryptor or something like that to keep it encrypted? No, I don't use any of that. Uh, If I really had something that important, I would use like TrueCrypt. And I would upload my TrueCrypt file, yeah. but I'd have to keep re-uploading it. Uh, it's really a pain in the butt. I think this is actually a case where we can take a, a good a good hint from uh, from really hippie culture, and that is buy or go local. You know, uh, I I think that's and what I mean by that local is storage. local storage. Yeah, uh, I think that's taking off in spades. There, you know, there, I've Trezor it. I've heard a few others. Uh, yeah, there's like Spider Oak, isn't that? Doesn't that have an encryption feature? Yeah, all very fine companies, but uh, I I get the sense we need to not just decentralize a lot of our systems. Uh, you know, and, and, and software and things of that nature that we use. But I think we need to really decentralize everything mm. uh, and, and recognize that maybe the Internet could kind of be a central point of failure. Well, it's interesting because there was um, uh, who was it this week that came out and said that there's a real vulnerability because like a third of the Internet is like on Amazon servers. Yeah, this is a uh, uh, Zurich International. I'm going to be talking about this more on my own show, Sovereign Tech, mm-hmm. um, but uh, or Zurich Insurance, I should say. Oh, yeah, uh, they're an insurer. So they underwrite insurance yeah, policies. And, and, and they're like, this is a big problem. Right. And they pretty much said that, you know, if with these cloud companies, if one of them goes down, uh, OK, fine, you're not relying on the cloud company, but the you know the company you're outsourcing your work to might outsource their work to a cloud company yeah. and there's just this chain reaction that can occur where all of this cloud storage where if the cl- big cloud company has a problem then it's an issue for a lot of, it affects a lot of people exactly right? in ways that, that you don't know uh, yeah. i mean the the best the best cloud you know there's not even really great alternatives to uh you know to to Dropbox. I mean, there's own cloud, but that's more of your own. That's more of me saying, like, go local. Own cloud is where you store it yourself on your server. On yeah. your own cloud? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, 
you know, you have a few others. Uh, I mean, there's Box. There's yeah, now, but now like the computer products that are being made, like a lot, you know, like you buy a Chromebook, it really doesn't have very much local storage. It's all like Google. It comes with ooh, a hundred gigabytes Google Drive, right? Yeah, I mean the the industry is pushing you. There's solutions to that. You know, I have a Chromebook and I pop a, a 64 gig, you know, flash drive in the side of it. That's, you know, smaller, smaller than a fingernail. Yeah. Um, problem solved, you know, but certainly the industry is pushing people and ki- kind of trying to force people into cloud storage, uh, which is a bad move. I yeah. mean, I, I, I don't. Uh, I don't I've always been that. a little uh, like skeptical of it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, you know. There's there's some things I use. I mean, I use Google Play Music. I use all kinds of, you know, cloud storage things. I do things, too, but, but I don't put sensitive files on there. No, I put right. like voiceovers that I have to share with a client on there. They're yeah, public anyway. Yeah, nothing. I never put anything up there that I can't lose or, you know, or that, that I can't yeah. afford to lose. I think that's a smart move. So, you know, you can, um, you can make your own decisions, but it's always good, I think, for people like us who care about um, privacy and freedom to report on things like this so people can be aware of it and make yeah, their own decisions because, about who they want to patronize. You know? I mean, just picture, I don't see, you know, putting her on the board, putting Condoleezza Rice on the board, in my opinion, is very little different than putting George W. Bush on the board. Yeah, I was going to say that too. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can't tell me you wouldn't you wouldn't run away from a company with George W. Bush at the head of it. Yeah. I would. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, myself, I'm done with Dropbox. What drop about a country I, with that? Uh, I, that's not a bad idea either. <laughs> yeah. Run the hell away. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, and it, it seems like more people are leaving the U.S., but we're kind of getting a little um, away from the, the topics that I wanted yeah. to talk about on tonight's show. Um, one thing that I wanted to also talk about in this first segment, too, that's kind of like news of the week sure. is the MadeSafe um, crowdfunding well, fundraiser. Now, this is a solution. Yeah, this is a solution to, to Dropbox. To what we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, MadeSafe is, is a big deal. Uh, I mean, they, you know, it, it's a decentralized, it's like... <sighs> Picture you have a sandbox, okay, and you can put, you know, and your computers all make up this, like a whole bunch of computers make up the sandbox. And essentially, you can just keep shifting the grains of sand, but you can all work within the same sandbox uh, between computers. I hope I explained that pretty well. Mm, Yeah, it's like you would log into any device and you would, with a password that you have, you would access a secret location where your data is stored right. in, in a, among a peer-to-peer network of computers. And then you would be able to um, have access to like basically a, a computer or a desktop that is yours, but you can access it from anywhere with like your passwords, right? Yeah. And you can access it in the fact that like all where made safe is stored. Again, this is kind of a cloud storage thing, but it's stored everywhere and it's not all complete in one spot. Yeah. It's genuinely decentralized. And which, it's not like a farm of servers run by Amazon. No. It's like people's computers and yeah. who are in the network and they get the incentive to be a, a storer or a shepherd of data or a farmer, as they call it on made safe is um, these safe coins. So people get paid based on the value that they um, contribute to the network. Right. And and people were clearly very excited about this technology because, again, this is, you know, we want to decentralize everything. That's kind of the 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 attitude that we're hearing around the Internet, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, let's face it. I mean, even Bitcoin isn't really decentralized. It has a blockchain and, you know, there's ways to save that. But Well, it's distributed. I mean, it's distributed. Like, yeah, it's decentralized take... from like power away from the banks. Yeah. But it's not in and of itself completely decentralized. MadeSafe is totally decentralized on no computer, on no one thing anywhere is the complete MadeSafe, you know, data collection somewhere to be accessed, which mm. is great. Sometime we'll have to talk about like the costs of decentralization, too, because there are like sort of... Re, you know reasons why it's not the most efficient um how sure. so like maybe saying decentralize everything isn't necessarily like the most thoughtful statement but i mean it, it definitely life could use some more decentralization because yeah. <laughs> some a lot of things right now are centralized in a very bad way that gives people um control over other human beings that they should not have so right i think we can pretty much all agree on that if we're listening to this show um but anyway made safe wanted to raise eight million dollars and they they thought they were going to do this in like a month so yeah. th- what they were going to do is basically issue their own tokens called you know safe coins which is the currency of the networker Actually, the the token they were selling is made safe, or the token they were offering is made safe coin, which right. can be redeemable for safe coins. So it's like one layer removed. And they did this on the Mastercoin protocol. 
and they wanted to raise about $8 million worth of cryptocurrency um, over a month, like I said, but actually they did it in like five hours. Yeah. <laughs> it was like too successful. It kind of blew up in their faces. And so actually Adam B. Levine from uh, Let's Talk Bitcoin, my podcast partner, wrote a great article about this for TechCrunch, which was summarily pulled down because he included a Bitcoin tip address, which totally not fair. So he reposted it on letstalkbitcoin.com. And, you know, there's a lot of issues in this. Um, there's the excitement about Made Safe. And then there's also the idea, well, was this fair? Because maybe more people would have wanted to get in on the funding and now they don't really have a chance to. And is it really just a price discovery problem? Because they basically fix the price of these tokens at a certain Bitcoin value. So right. it's a really fascinating experiment in economics. I'm glad they had a lot of success. Yeah, but, that's the thing is people are excited about Made Safe, and that's great. But the whole user-created assets thing, it's an experiment. It's going to need some more tweaking. So there's more coming up. Sex and Science Hour is part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin network, and we are so excited. Wait, wait, wait a minute. What's Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin? What's Bitcoin? Well, you'll have to listen to Let's Talk Bitcoin to find out. It's a twice-weekly podcast, and you can find it at letstalkbitcoin.com. Okay, I gotta know. Yeah, you really should probably get on that. It has a whole network? Yeah, we're part of it. How did I not know about this? You must have missed the memo that we were on their network. Anyway, now back to Sex and Science Hour. Here at Sex and Science Hour, we love EasyDNS. They let you register domains, handle security for your website, email addresses, pretty much anything related to DNS or domain names, they can do it. They have a friendly staff of actual human beings, so if you need customer support, they will always be there for you. Plus, they are outspoken advocates for your internet freedom. And they take Bitcoin, of course. They now have fully managed WordPress and web hosting too, so you can do everything you need related to your website from EasyDNS. Take a look at their website at EasyDNS.com. We think you'll like what you see. Trust EasyDNS.com for your DNS and web hosting needs. Now back to Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour, and we are blasting off into the second segment. Bitcoins are blasting off too, apparently, right, Brian? Into space, into orbit, anyway. They're going into orbit. Yeah, tell me about Bitcoins that. in space. They've been, I, mean, they, is... I mean, they've pretty much been everywhere on the planet. You know, there's been Bitcoin transactions logged in, like, North Korea and yeah. Antarctica. Yeah. So, <laughs> they've been there, done that. They've seen the whole world. Now they're going to space, right? Right on. And, you know, a lot of people have been really hopeful for something like this to essentially, like we talked about, you know, if cloud storage systems went down, what do you do? You know, I, I mean, the blockchain, again, is centralized. You got to have that blockchain. At least one person has to have that blockchain for it to continue on. And, you know, I, I don't see Bitcoin. I mean, so many people have the blockchain. I can't really see that ever being a problem. And they have it locally. But this is pretty exciting uh, to have you know, literally Bitcoin going into space. And what they're doing is, is uh, Deep Space Industries, which is a company I've been following for a while. This is a, they they're wanting to mine asteroids. Um, mm, and there's they, probably gold in them there asteroids. Oh, right? absolutely. <laughs> uh, and now there's going to be bitcoins yeah. <laughs> with them too. So they'll have it all. But they're setting up a lot of these really. There's just these small, like ten centimeter boxes uh, called bits bitsats, and they're going to be putting them into various satellites. Uh, and, you know, pushing them, you know, putting them into space to where there's actually going to be the blockchain is going to be a network existing literally in orbit, if not further on in the future, because these space industries, these guys have big, big plans. So we, what are, are what are they? Are they like nodes on the Bitcoin network? Essentially, they're, they're planning on being a complete backup. Like that, that's the idea. Okay, so they're running full nodes and storing the whole blockchain on these bitsat things. Yeah, which okay. is interesting. I'm curious how, how exactly do they connect. I guess they're on satellites. Yeah, right? they, it just runs by satellite. But satellites are really inefficient um, for for the for that amount of data getting transmitted all the time. It's it's kind of an inefficient way of doing it. Like I don't know how many people have ever been on a yacht, but when you've tried to use high speed satellite internet on a yacht, it's a failure. Um, because we should all be so lucky to have that problem, well, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, I can't access the internet oh, on my no. yacht. Oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Sorry. So any, anyway, but I mean, but this is a real problem that that's been around for a while. Is you know, like cloud cover doesn't allow for. I mean, phones are fine, but like doing full on, 
you know, even watching a video on YouTube can be a difficult affair, uh, you know, when when you're in the middle of nowhere, be it at Buffy, sea. I just oh. <laughs> can't access YouTube. What's going on with this Internet? <laughs> Right. Let me smoke another cigar. <laughs> well, you know, that that problem of everybody being on yachts is one of the actually one of the mission statements of DSI of, of D Space Industries is they're saying, look, we can all have the good life. You know, the, yeah. and, and they're literally trying to put an end to scarcity. And I think that's fantastic. Uh and so for them to want to get involved with Bitcoin is just a it's a dream, mm. you know, and now I hope it doesn't stay limited to Bitcoin. I'd like for the Litecoin blockchain, you know, to be up there, uh, whatever other blockchain technologies, I'd love for them all to be up in space to have that redundancy or even just for the fact that maybe, in, you know, a lot of a lot of people like Elon Musk and some others are planning on being on Mars. Right. You know, in, in the that next was, 10 years. There was supposed to be a, co- a Mars colony in 2014. How did that work out? I well, it did, yeah, right? it didn't work for 2014, <laughs> but but within the next 10 years, there's at least two or three companies saying we're going to have humans on Mars. But, I don't think it's going to But you can happen, only go but... if you're a vegetarian, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, can't, you can't eat yeah, space there's, cows. <laughs> there's, there's some weird, yeah, weird requirements, but I, I don't think the U.S. government, if it's still around in, in 10 years, uh, would even allow for it to happen. But that's besides the point. Bitcoin being up in space... That's pretty exciting. Or should I say, you know, blockchain technology being up in space. I think that's that's the more exciting prospect. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of just a feel good article. But do you I mean, do you see any potential problems with it? Like it's all pretty much looking like it's going to be privately funded. Right. Yeah, I, I can't I can't really picture any any issues other than, of course, you know, I don't know how exactly they're getting around the problem of sending data, that amount of data, especially as the Bitcoin blockchain grows um, back and forth, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very quickly. Like, uh, you know, I could, if there was actually something that terrible to where the redundancy of these systems would be required, uh, I, you know, you might I, not be able to access You might it not have fast. everything. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, and that's okay. I mean, maybe we'll just have to deal with like a few gigs worth of or whatever you yeah. know, missing of, of data. But Maybe they'll find some way to improve the communication and data exchange between Earth and sort of distant nodes. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, if these things could get worked out, I mean, one of the solutions you can do is, is you could have, and I hate to use these kinds of things, but you could have drones that essentially are a middleman between the satellite and, and oh, the Earth, yeah, and yep. then that actually can solve that transmission speed problem. And so, if you had a combination of these things, uh, I think you'd have it'd be very interesting for the fact that literally you could be doing, you know, you could be in the Arctic, you know, in the tundra, mm. and you could be doing a, a you know, a Bitcoin transaction, mm-hmm. which is really, really exciting to to think about. So, no, I don't really see any actual issues with this. Uh, it is literally a feel good article. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, I didn't feel very good about the last part of it because in the the end of this article, um, Mike Hearn is quoted saying that the rules of the system are not set in stone, and that's in reference to Bitcoin. Well, yeah, okay. That that is the with the article that's unfortunate is that they even quoted him because this is a guy that I think likes to run roughshod on the on the on the you know, Bitcoin core. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, It seems like there are definitely like core principles that make Bitcoin Bitcoin. And if you change those, then it's not going to be Bitcoin. Uh, But you know, I'll, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt with that quote and say, maybe it was out of context, but yeah, um, maybe. Yeah. I think we need to be really mindful of what makes Bitcoin Bitcoin and kind of keep that preserved. Uh, But you know, that might be a future discussion here on the show. Yeah, absolutely. uh, As well. So, Next, we're going to get to an article about, uh, this is really cool. Now, apparently, these molecular um, scissors are becoming a reality where it actually lets you go into an an organism's tissue and edit DNA. And you can like replace chunks of uh, DNA with other chunks of DNA. Molecular scissors? Yeah, they're sometimes they're kind of called that. I don't know if that like really super accurately describes this technology because the article is from RT and so it doesn't really give like too much technical detail. But basically what what they're saying is they've um, these scientists have created a technology and they are I think they're from MIT here. Yeah, the uh, Broad Institute at MIT. And what what it is is like they they have like a guide that targets um, what DNA sequence is supposed to be edited, right. and then they have like an enzyme that will actually go in and replace um, 
the piece of the bad piece of DNA with a different um, with a good piece of DNA. So essentially, if your DNA showed a predisposition for a disease. Yeah, it's great for these genetic diseases where there's just one little mutation, but it causes a huge problem. Right. Like, so for you... instance, it takes out a particular gene that breaks down an amino acid or something like that. And then it's a kid that grows up and, you know, can't eat most foods because they can't break down. You know, like when you buy um, something that contains aspartame, mm-hmm. like Diet Coke or like Jello, sugar-free Jello or something. Right. It'll say on the back, um, not suitable for phenylketonurics. That phenylketonuria is a disease where um, they they have a single gene mutation where they can't break down um, certain amino acids, or I think it, maybe it's a certain amino acid. And so they can't eat foods that contain that. So it's like a right. very limiting kind of diet. Yeah. See, now this is an article where um, it's not all feel good for me. Uh, because a, you're afraid someone's going to go in and edit your DNA. (laughs) Well, we've got psychopaths in charge. Um, well, I mean, okay. So this would be a very expensive technology, a medical procedure. And there's a problem with getting these little molecular robots into the cells and into Mm -hmm. the nuclei of the cells where they need to go. And so the way that they were able to do this in mice was by doing like a high pressure injection. So basically they would take a vein, like say the vein that goes into the liver or something, and they would inject like a solution that contains these little nanobots in it um, at at high pressure so it gets into the cells. (laughs) Um, But for humans, that's not really considered a safe thing to do yet. Right. Um, although, you know, like the FDA definitely bans experimental treatments where like the person's going to die anyway. So there's really not much you could do to them that would really like, maybe they're willing to take that risk that they might, you know, in testing a new, um, treatment, they might have bad side effects. Right. Yeah. Well, but I mean, the thing is, is that, okay, sure. You can, you could eliminate disease, but I think once you have the ability to eliminate genetic diseases like that, uh, you also have the ability to introduce them. And I'm glad oh, this isn't easy yeah. okay, to do, but that possibility is, is out there. And Well, that's a great point, Brian. I'm glad you brought that up. Sure. Um, it's possible that in the future, maybe there's some technology where you could kind of do this to someone without them knowing it. Which you kind of can with a virus. I mean, if someone gets infected with a virus, they are great at just doing a job of like injecting DNA into certain cells. And then in some cases, it'll integrate into the person's own DNA. Right. Yeah. I mean, so this is kind of the double edged sword of a lot of these, you know, advancements in technology. And I mean, and I love technology. You're a biochemist. Okay. I Mm -hmm. mean, this is an area of your study. Uh, And you get excited about it, but then you remember that like there's people in charge who don't always have your best interests at heart. And in fact, who probably 90% of the time, whether by purpose or not, don't. Yeah. Uh, well, technology is always a double-edged sword. Yeah. You know? No, no, that, that, that's a fact. But um, sometimes I'm not a Luddite by any stretch of the yeah. imagination, but sometimes I wouldn't mind if, I guess if maybe things slowed down just a little bit <laughs> uh, until, until, you know, Leviathan falls on itself. Yeah. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there. I really do agree with you. I mean, the good news is that it's going to be expensive to do this. So yeah. th- there's a cost barrier there. That's It's not like they can just, you know, sprinkle some pixie dust in the water and then suddenly everybody gets sick. I, I mean, I suppose you could do that with like non-high-tech agents anyway, like right. they could poison us or whatever. If you really want to go down the crackpot like, <laughs> realm... <laughs> Uh, you know, you could always have some kind of biological attack like that. But technology also protects us. You know, we have new um, antibiotics to combat bacterial infections. We have new drugs to combat viruses. And technology like this could could cure viruses and genetic diseases, too. Yeah. And, and I applaud it for that. So yeah. it's just always the concern, again, when you have people in power that, well, when you have people in power, I, I think that that's... <laughs> yeah, stop there. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's, that's, that's really it. it. That's where the sword always comes from. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of uh, power, this is a really interesting study. Now, you told me about this a couple months ago, and I didn't really get what you were talking about. But now that I saw the article, it makes a lot of sense. And you said that there were these mice... And the researchers could shine a light on their brain and then they would get aggressive, but not if they were having sex. And I was like, wow, that sounds crazy. What is this all about? So I read this article that you um, kindly brought in, Brian. And um, 
What it is is actually these are rats that were like genetically engineered to have a a switch that's activated by light in a certain part of their brain. Right. And that part of their brain is um, controls basically aggressive behavior. Right. And so by shining a light on those neurons, which have been specially um, made to be sensitive to light, and when they get a light shining on them, they will activate or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you take those mice or sorry, rats, <laughs> you take those rats and then you shine a light and activate those neurons, they will become aggressive and the males will like attack other males. Right. But the whole process of, of that is inhibited if they're having sex. So sex literally inhibits a powerful genetic switch that can make these can induce aggressive behavior, which is totally amazing. It's incredible. It's I mean, in- people talk about the chimps and bonobos and how, you know, like one is kind of peaceful and they don't they have a lot of sex, but they don't fight. And the other one's more violent. They have less sex and. Yeah, and there was a study, too, where actually with uh, uh, baboons, yeah. that they found a tribe of baboons where most of the males died, and so there's plenty of women for the males left to have sex with, and suddenly they stopped the society fighting. was peaceful. <laughs> wow. Sex is the answer to everything. <laughs> it, it, exactly. It's more <laughs> coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned. Sex and Science Hour is looking for sponsors. We do our best to do an entertaining show that is heard by thousands of people each week. Do you have a project, business, product, or service that could match our audience's interests? Let us know. Contact Brian at letstalkbitcoin.com to find out more. That's Brian with an I at letstalkbitcoin.com. Here at Sex and Science Hour, we really appreciate your support. We've received tips from listeners, not just in Bitcoin, but with other altcoins. Those are always listed in our show notes in case you want to send us a tip, which we thank you for very, very much. If you don't have Bitcoins, altcoins, or you just want to send us a tip in a way that's free to you, all you have to do is click on something, then you can help us out. Simply do your normal shopping on Amazon through our Amazon affiliate links. Those are listed in our show notes, and we've got Amazon US, UK, and Canada for you. Thank you so much for all your support. And now back to the show. This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. You know, we're going to get very slippery in this segment. Oh. Oh, my. Uh, <laughs> it's not as exciting as you might think. Break out a gallon of baby oil in the waterbed. Here we go. <laughs> not baby oil. Olive oh. oil. <laughs> olive oil. Oh. <laughs> this is this is okay. Even better. So this Tasty. started last, uh, a couple days ago. I ran out of olive oil, and I wanted to have a salad and put some olive oil on it. So, um, Brian, you and I went to the grocery store, and we were in the olive oil aisle. Right. <laughs> and... We were there looking- are actually a lot of olive oils to choose from, so it, it almost warrants an aisle. There are, but you said something to me, like, in passing, that you said something like, have you heard about that study where they tested olive oils and they found that a lot of them were not actually olive oil? Yeah, they had tons of soybean oil in them. Yeah, and then I was like, wow, uh, that's kind of weird. So I, you know, quickly looked it up, and lo and behold... There was an actual study done by the Olive Oil Center at UC Davis. They actually have an <laughs> academic center that studies olive oil. And apparently it's like it's this huge problem. Um, most of the olive oils that are imported to the U.S. from Italy are, first of all, the ones that claim to be extra virgin do not meet the standard standards and definitions, either chemically or according to taste, of um, extra virgin olive oil. It's usually like just olive oil, but it's marked extra virgin. Right. So there's that one thing. And then some of them are not even olive oil. Some of them are actually like adulterated with soybean oil, canola oil, other types of cheaper oil. Up to even like 60 some odd percent yeah. of it not being actual olive oil. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they so these researchers actually tested the different olive oils and they found that there was a surprising amount of them that just didn't um, pass muster as far as being um, that meeting several different criteria for being actual pure and high quality extra virgin olive oil. Yeah, I mean, and this is frankly, you know, what's the big deal? This is fraud. 
Exactly. This is straight up fraud. It is fraud. It's yeah. it's totally fraudulent to label it as one thing, yeah. especially when the health benefits of extra virgin olive oil are so promoted and touted. Oh, yeah. And everybody thinks they're buying this thing that's going to make them healthy. Well, no, they're actually buying something a lot cheaper, which doesn't have the same properties as what they think they're getting. Right. And you look, you know, you say, well, a little canola oil won't hurt you. Listen, canola oil was designed for cleaning engines, not the human <laughs> body. Okay. I mean, that that's a real concern i mean i've heard people where they say that canola oil uh you know to whatever degree of excess you know could can make your heart skip yeah that's no good i've heard that there's a lot of problems with it like i you know personally i don't really want to consume it i would rather eat olive oil Uh, you know they say canola oil it can be um it can have a lot of pesticides in it sure it can um, have trans fat in it that's not included on the label it can go rancid sitting on the shelves and i'm sure probably most vegetable oils can go rancid, but especially canola oil is very prone to that. Right. And so, and it's sold as like this heart healthy thing, but it may not necessarily be. And so regardless of what you think about canola oil, I think you could probably agree that if you buy a bottle that says olive oil, it should be olive oil. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and if it says extra virgin, well, it better be extra virgin. Yeah. Give me some extra virginity there. Absolutely. I <laughs> That's mean, actually the name of a book. I understand how difficult it is to find extra virginity but yeah there's not much remaining of it in this world and not that that's a bad thing (laughs) no not at all (laughs) who wants virginity anyway except in your olive oil big deal anyway (laughs) i do want it in my olive oil because that means that it's like from the first pressing or something like that it has these healthy compounds in it (laughs) oh god touch for the very first time see i'm trying to be all scientific and yes touch for you put me on the show what do you (laughs) touch for the very first time that's right uh but yeah so real olive oil is like there's a couple things you can do if you are concerned about this this by the way this totally first world problem that we're talking about (laughs) (laughs) like uh there are starving kids in africa and we're talking about oh my olive oil isn't pure (laughs) but uh if you're concerned about this Real olive oil should be in a light block bottle to protect it. It should be green, not tan. If it's tan, it's probably not even olive oil at all. So tan in plastic bottles is a bad sign. Uh, Olive oil produced in California is more likely to um, meet the standards. Olive oil bottled or produced, I mean, actually, some of them say that they're made in Italy, but they're not really produced in Italy. Most of the time, the olives come from other places like Tunisia and Spain, and then they get imported into Italy. And there in the packaging plants they can be like cut with other oils and apparently in italy they they actually have like olive oil cops that go around and tr- and patrol the the plants where they make olive oil oh, it's serious business over there yeah vineyards. But, but there's a lot of um corruption right and so they don't really they get away with it the politically connected ones They're anyway paying off the olive cops yeah and it's like a huge industry there so there's a lot of politically connected olive oil producers so like the big plants they don't get in trouble for it and yeah, they can just keep cutting the olive oil yeah quite seriously that that occurs yeah uh, and and then again it's like look it's just and you can't say really buyer beware because there has to be a point where, you know, the company gets held accountable. You're saying you're selling olive oil yeah. and you're not, mm-hmm. you know, and for some people, you know, it could be a very serious health risk. You know, I couldn't believe this because I, okay, I posted this about this on Facebook and okay, it's a case of pretty clear cut fraud mm-hmm. verified by a reputable scientific academic lab, which is a third party testing institution which you know libertarians are always talking about yeah the fda doesn't keep you safe we need third-party institutions to test the food to make sure it's safe because the fda doesn't do it which the fda is a government agency they the government doesn't keep your food safe so we need independent scientists to do it this is exactly what that was (laughs) and libertarians still jumped down my throat i think they just like to argue (laughs) yeah oh well that's why they're libertarians but uh but i mean really you gotta understand i mean this is canola oil it's good for your heart just like cheerios no cheerios are not good for your heart read wheat belly oh ridiculous yeah so uh, so i just wanted to talk about that i think it's kind of an interesting story you know like that what you think you're getting you might not actually be getting so speaking of oil we actually got an email to our show at sexandsciencehour.com email address from a lady listener asking about natural lubricants for fun and pleasure. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, she wanted to get away from these chemical-based products, but she and her husband use condoms for birth control, so what what is safe to use with them? Well, 
The short answer is with latex condoms, you can't use oil because it'll destroy the condom. Right. But um, if you use different um, condoms that are made of different materials, such as a polyurethane. Or lambskin. Um, that's, that's the original. <laughs> yeah, lambskin can work too, but some people say they smell weird and they don't protect against STIs. Ah. So those are things to know. But if you use polyurethane condoms then they are compatible with oils. So you can use olive oil, real extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. (laughs) You can use coconut oil, almond oil, or pretty much anything you like. Try out a bunch of different ones. Thanks for the question. We've got another story here that I wanted to talk about. This is something I kind of just stumbled across this week. And we always say on this show, uh, we talk often about how government makes it more difficult for people to basically be entrepreneurs, start their own businesses and do something that supports themselves. It kind of keeps people dependent on jobs that are given by other people. And it kind of disempowers them, I think, because there is a certain power that comes with creating your own job and making, you know, working for yourself. So this is 11 crazy laws. And this is, of course, American laws that uh, that keep you from getting a job. I know I realize we're being a little U.S. focused in this Um, show. I hope it doesn't turn people off. Next week will be different, I swear. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there's so much there's so much outrageous stuff going on here, really, that uh, it... Yeah, it's tough when you live in the belly of the beast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, okay, 11 crazy laws that keep you from getting a job. Did you know that fortune tellers are licensed in Massachusetts? They're licensed? This is so bad. Yeah, it's against the law to have, um, quote, pretended fortune telling as opposed to, as the article says, you know, authentic fortune telling. <laughs> <laughs> Unlicensed soothsayers can face $100 in fines. Of course, if they were any good, they would know when the cops were coming. <laughs> I, um, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I just... If yeah. any, any comment I make is just going to insult religion, so I don't want to bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? <laughs> How do you get a fortune teller licensed, really? Yeah. Probably just pay the state. It just shows the absurdity of licensing. Anyway, um, you have to have a uh, a license to shampoo in several states in the U.S., including New Hampshire. Well, we got to get rid of that. You got to work on that one. <laughs> yeah, not that we not do that anything we in the within the political system, yeah. but yeah, that's, <laughs> that's pretty bad. Um, they have to be a shampoo technician, and they need 30 hours of on-the-job training in the practice and theory of shampooing. Seriously? Wow. Well, I mean, these the real... people, oh my God, these people are being allowed to shampoo their own hair every day. <laughs> Can you, this is totally unsafe. It's unregulated. It's Black market shampooing. <laughs> oh. Really, the answer is to educate people against using shampoo. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you don't use shampoo. Oh, yeah, that's a great point. Well, I mean, I'm just afraid of the unregulated shampoo. That's right. Yeah. Uh, the cops <laughs> no, could actually. burst down the shower. <laughs> I did shampoo my hair for many years, and then I found out about the whole no shampoo movement and basically the idea is that um your hair produces like natural oils and if you and the shampoo can be really a harsh detergent that strips off all the oils which do actually protect your hair and so if you're constantly removing those oils with shampoo some of the hair at the ends will get really dry and be more prone to break off and uh, also your scalp will kind of overproduce oil to compensate for it being taken away so that the roots will be greasy yeah I, i wouldn't know I, you you're bald, so yeah. you don't have this problem. <laughs> but I've actually it's been about two years since I've shampooed my hair. I do clean my hair with um, conditioner right. and you know other stuff, and it's worked out really well. I have very curly hair type oh, and stunning hair. <laughs> thank you. And curly hair, you know, needs a lot of moisture, and so it's great for this whole no shampoo thing. But anyway, that's a little bit of a diversion. <laughs> if you're curious, you can uh, email us show at sexandsciencehour.com to find out more if you want to hear more about that. Um, but moving right along, you also need a license. No, you don't need a license. You, ju- you don't just need a license. You need to be a vet if you want to massage animals in, um, a pla- in Arizona. To massage animals? Yeah. How dare you rub the belly of your dog without, <laughs> yeah. you know, being a veterinarian, without eight years of college? This one has um, six months in jail. It's practicing veterinary medicine without a license. Well, it's only if you collect money, right? I mean, uh, so if you're like a pet... I don't know. Well, I mean, I, I would assume. But, you know, if you're a pet sitter, 
which is a very common practice and a good mm-hmm. one for yeah. when people are traveling the world or just traveling around. Yeah, what's considered uh, a massage if you if you kind of just, oh, good boy, and you just touch the dog, like, is that a massage? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if it's like any other law in the U.S., it's as vague as possible so yes. that it can be used uh, against the maximum amount of people. Exactly, exactly. Um, florists in Louisiana, oh, you I have to this. get a license to become a florist, and getting that license requires going in front of a board of your competitors, right. um, which are the them. already licensed florists, right. and then they vote on how good your flower arrangements yeah, are. Yeah, how well you set the bouquet. This yeah. is an amazing case uh, of just absolute government ridiculousness that you have to prove, yes, I can set a nice bouquet. Value subjective, folks. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm-hmm. How could you possibly... You know, judge what a good-looking bouquet is. You know, uh, that's just a blatant thing. I mean, like, how could you possibly argue that's for public safety or whatever? Yeah. And there was actually, um, I think, the Institute for Justice, which is a public interest law firm that kind of like sues governments who have these ridiculous licensing laws that crush entrepreneurs. They actually sued um, the state and won in 2010. So now you don't have to have a license anymore, which that's that's great. But they're going to keep popping up more of these inane. regulations (laughs) regulations <laughs> um the second one which was also in an in institute for justice case was um hair braiding so and this is black hair braiding oh and so there was like a, a woman who started a hair braiding business in her home and or, or no she it was in a, a salon so she was doing this in a professional salon and uh, she got arrested and dragged out of the salon in handcuffs because she was practicing cosmetology without a license what and not only that but uh if she had gone to beauty school to get a cosmetology license there was nothing in the curriculum about african hair braiding well of course not (laughs) what kind of crap look we we need to go back in time we need a time machine right now and we need to arrest every single egyptian for practicing cosmetics without a cosmetology <laughs> yeah, they were license using lead too. or education. <laughs> There's lead in their we we got to do something about this. Come on, stop. Oh yeah. It's pretty it's pretty insane. I mean, and <laughs> you could you could argue like this is how government keeps people down. Sure. You know, you can't break into a business like this. You can't just start you can't just start braiding hair. Who do you think you are? You don't have the proper license. You didn't give us your money and ask us permission. So insanity. Oh yeah. Um interior designers. A couple of states have licensing of interior designers. And um, you know, that seems like a pretty clear cut case of protectionism. Sure. Most uh, one interior designer who was testifying um, to some state legislature to try to get a law passed that would regulate interior design claimed that um, deregulating the interior design industry would be contributing to 88,000 deaths every year. This this is nuts. Uh, Well, they're all nuts. But this one, you know, actually, I I had an an occasion with an interior designer. Mm -hmm. Okay, where I said. And people can laugh and find this weird. That's fine. I said, no, I want the couch to be four feet away from the wall. Mm -hmm. And I want there to be a gap behind there because I actually, oddly enough, I kind of, at the time I was pretty young, but I liked sleeping like encapsulated Mm -hmm. behind the couch (laughs) <laughs> on the floor i know that sounds weird right oh, but you're it, a unique individual I am, Brian. I am it was a studio apartment <laughs> that's how i wanted it yeah and she freaked out it's like no you can't do it believe me you don't want that i'm like no i know i want that this is how i like to sleep you know and it just it was this mess and so my point is is that again value subjective how can you possibly say what the rules are yeah for on how a place should get set up that that you know that there needs to be regulation because i bet in those regulations it's saying yeah the couch needs to be you know uh three feet away from a power outlet and against the wall yeah and i'd be like well as soon as the person leaves i'm gonna move it so why even bother with the law I bet it's about building codes and fire hazards and all that stuff, which it's very dubious. Yeah, whatever. Well, you know, Brian, you know what they say. There's those who just want to be left alone and those who just won't leave them alone. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Ernie Hancock says anyway, our friend. Yeah, that's pretty good. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not going to read the rest of those. There's like, you know, half the list to go and we're running out of time. But thank you so much for tuning in. This has been Sex and Science Hour, and we'll be back next Thursday with another show for you all.
you've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week.